Amen. Galatians chapter 2 in your Bible this morning. We'll dismiss our children and then we'll head to our children's ministry while we turn Galatians chapter number 2. Aren't you thankful for smart clocks that can do the time on their own? Galatians chapter number two. Let's stand together and we'll read our opening section here. In chapter number two is where uh, things continue to get interesting. It, it gets interesting all throughout the remainder of the book. And it's, it's Paul is, is in a fight. He's in a fight for truth and he's in a battle for uh, the sake of uh, believers and and he's unfolding this, what is happening here. And we're going to see part of this. And, and as I mentioned, stay with me. It's going to, we're going to bring together, you're going to see this, this simplicity of the Christian life, but also the, the sections of it um, that are going to come into play. Right now we're dealing with the gospel, how a person gets saved. But he's going to move into, especially chapter 3, he's going to turn the corner and say, we're talking to you Christians, and the way you get saved by the simplicity in Christ is the same way you live the Christian life. That's why it's so important that we're focusing on this, because you say, why do we have to keep going through the gospel? We know what the gospel is, because if we don't hammer it, we don't have it down, we move over into sanctification, uh, Bible, fellowship, or change into His image. If we don't have the gospel down completely and entirely, and everything hatched and latched, then when we get over into sanctification, there's going to be a little bit of, uh, we can fudge here, and a little bit of adjusting here, and a little bit, of, and it gets us off, and 2,000 years later, we're in the same situation today. And so this is extremely important, though you may say it just seems very fu fundamental, very foundational. Yes, it is, but we can't let this foundation erode. So beginning in verse number one, then 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem, and that tells us he'd been there before. And he told us that over in chapter number one. With Barnabas and took Titus with me also, and I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. In other words, he says, there's something that I've been about, my ministry, what God gave me, he told us over in chapter number one, it came not from man, it came from God. And so we're going to have a meeting, he says, and I did have a meeting, and I explained it to leadership, lest what I've been doing has been in vain. And he's not really concerned about himself, but he's saying that, that there'd be, a, that they'd understand that this was not of me, this was of God, and how important this is. Verse 3, but neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Well, I just would think that that'd be a great meeting in itself if, if I could make it through and not be compelled to be circumcised in a meeting. You say, well, that's a successful meeting right there. And what does that have to do with anything? It has a lot to do with it when we understand the significance of the battle that is taking place. And there's a reason Titus is there. He's there for that very reason that he just mentioned in verse 3. Verse 4, and that because of false brethren, unawares, brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus that they might bring us into bondage. To whom we gave place by subjection no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But of these who seemed be to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me, God accepteth no man's person. For they who seemed to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. But contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter... For he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. 
And in verse number eight, at the end of the verse, it's not a smiley face at the end of the verse there. I know what some of you are thinking, and um, that's not what that is. Continuation, verse nine. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. Only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. You say, wow, what are we talking about? As I say so often, that's why we have preaching and to go into this. And um, I, I think... Um, this is a continuation. The rest of the chapter is divided into two sections. And we're seeing Paul do the same thing here in the next section, which we'll save later. But he's confronting. He's battling. He's standing his ground. He's fighting for the sake of the gospel. Here he's doing it in these verses in a group. In the second half of chapter number two, he's going to do it with a person. But it's important that we recognize um, several had referred to Paul in this sense as a freedom fighter, a freedom fighter. And so I thought I'll just go with that which others had designated to Paul. And we're going to talk this morning about God's freedom fighter. Thank you. Please be seated. I'm glad you're here this morning. Jesus said in John 8, 36, if the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. In other words, Jesus said, if I set you free, you will be free indeed. The book of Galatians, which is our guide for this series that we're looking at, Paul tells us, look over in chapter number 5 for a moment, and I want us to get this verse down. Look at chapter 5 and verse 1. <clears throat> Let's read this together out loud. Chapter 5, verse 1. Ready? Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Let's look at it again now. Remember, we, we are moving. Once he really gets to chapter 3 and on, he's dealing with God's people. He's not talking about saved versus lost at this point. Yes, he's dealing with the gospel, the matter of the good news to the sinner in these first couple of chapters. But he's going to turn the corner. And so chapter 5, verse 1 is talking to us. And Paul's intention by way of the Holy Spirit is to help us. So let's say it again in verse number 1, Galatians 5, 1 together. Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Clearly freedom is supposed to be the natural result of your faith in Jesus Christ. But that's not always how it works is it? In reality there's often a gap between our expectation and our experience. That's why it's so important when a person gets saved that they recognize this is not the end, it's the beginning. Why there needs to be a discipling. One great misnomer is that we go through a discipleship course and we're done. It's not a discipleship course, it's a discipleship life. Listen, there's not a person here. There's not one here that is, in, that is not in need of equipping to be a disciple. In fact, there's not a person in this auditorium that could not stand going through discipleship. I don't care if you wrote the book on discipleship. All of us are in need. And the tragedy is, I know that there are some, if I go to, I say, you need to go through discipleship. Will you go through discipleship with me? Here's going to be the response. Why would you ask me? Oh, well, if you're not saved, let's have a gospel session so you can get saved. Because if you're saved, you ought to be willing to enter into the discipleship class with Jesus and stay there. And so there is where liberty is found. It's not knowing about him. It's not having bumped into him. It is entering into a real relationship with him. You say, that's done. Well, is it possible to be saved and go back into bondage? 
Yes, that's what he says in chapter 5, verse 1. Don't go back into the bondage that Jesus saved you out of. How are you going to stay in liberty? Stay in relationship with Jesus. Jesus himself said of himself, Luke 4 and verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He hath sent me to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind to set at liberty them that are bruised. I don't know what bondage you might be in today. I don't know where you've been bruised today. But Jesus Christ can set you free and he can heal. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus died. That's why Jesus rose from the grave to set prisoners and captives free. So we come to chapter 2 this morning where Paul, he's continuing his defense of the gospel. But he's not just here defending the gospel. Now he's in confrontation mode. And so I want us to see a few things about this matter of of Paul's fighting for freedom. I want you to see, and we'll have this by way of the screen to help just follow along. Number one, I want you to notice the confrontation with God's people, confrontation with the saints. And that's in verses one through three. Elmer Davis in his book, But We Were Born Free, said, this will remain the land of the free only so long as it is the home of the brave. I think that that was Paul's attitude as well. Paul, spiritual liberty in Christ is worth more than being popular. It's worth more than being secure. For Paul, he was willing to fight for that liberty. And so there's two basic confrontations that are taking place in chapter 2. First, there's a confrontation and a fight for Christian liberty at what is known as the Jerusalem Council. And this Jerusalem Council is in Acts chapter 15. I don't plan to go over to Acts 15, but to understand chapter 2, we have to understand Acts 15. You say, well, why won't we go to Acts 15? Because we'll do that later. But I, I, if you want to understand chapter 2, you have to understand. And chapter 2 is an explanation of what took place in Acts chapter 15. So you can't separate the two. <clears throat> we're just looking at the overview of this and we're going to hit it a little bit later. So the first confrontation is with this council, the first church in Jerusalem, a large group, a group of leaders that will be their pillars. He calls them later on in this chapter. And he goes in, Paul, and he's confronting because, remember, the Judaizers have gotten in and have kind of gotten the ear of some of these leaders. So he has this confrontation with this Jerusalem council. That's in verses 1 through 10. And then verses 11 through 21, he has a private meeting with Peter. And there's a confrontation there. Now let me say, had Paul not been willing to wage this spiritual warfare, the church in the first century, as we read about it and know it, it might have become only a Jewish sect preaching a mixture of law and grace. But because of Paul's courage to confront, the gospel was kept free from legalism. That is, adding anything to the gospel. And it was able to be carried out to the Gentiles so that the Gentiles could know the great blessing of the gospel, all of which most every one of us here should say, Amen. Because none of us would be saved had that not taken place. So we're thankful for some of these freedom fighters that God had raised up. And for the Apostle Paul to put aside popularity, pride, and security in life and be willing for the sake of the gospel, the cause of Christ, to do some confronting when it's necessary. I want you to see the place of confrontation. I've already mentioned this, but notice in verse 1. He says, then after 14 years, I went up again to, where, where is it? Jerusalem. So he's going into Jerusalem. Now, where had Paul come from prior to going into Jerusalem? And we see over in chapter 1, verse 21, that he came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And he says, 
afterwards, in verse 21, afterwards, and, and after what? Well, he had spent three years, according to verse 18 of chapter 1, in Jerusalem. And so basically, Paul's first visit to Jerusalem was only after three years. It lasted only two weeks, and he saw only two apostles. So he tells us that in chapter number 1. And then he comes to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and then chapter 2, 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem. So the place is Jerusalem, and that's where the church is located, this first church. And, and then notice in uh, verse number 1 as well, he tells us the people at the confrontation. He says, I took Barnabas and Titus. So Paul is going to be there, Barnabas and Titus. Now, Paul, we know, this is the one that's telling the story here, and this is the one that it involves. <clears throat> Barnabas. Barnabas was one of Paul's closest friends. But here's the significance. He's a Jew. So Paul is taking with him a Jew. Now Paul, or rather Barnabas, um, when Paul tried to get into fellowship of the Jerusalem church, remember he was, trying, he was a terror of the church, trying to stamp out the church. He gets saved and there's a little bit, a little bit of apprehension. That's why it's never a right for anyone to be a part of a church membership and fellowship. It's never a right. Um, there is responsibility to the church family, church body, <clears throat> to protect the church body. And so there is reason to be concerned. Well, you know, we're going to let somebody in because we're supposed to be like the Salvation Army and just let anybody in. He's going to come in. He's going to kill us. And so they're a little bit apprehensive. Well, who was it that really made the way for Paul entering in? It was Barnabas. Barnabas in Acts chapter 9, verse 26 and 28. And it was um, Barnabas who helped Paul in starting the church in Galatia. The name Barnabas means son of consolation. In other words, he's a son of encouragement. He was an encourager. When people saw Barnabas approaching, they're glad to see him coming because they knew encouragement was on its way. Let me ask you a question. Are people glad to see you come or are they glad to see you go? Are you known for being an encourager or are you known for being a discourager? You're known for one of those. Do you know what we need more of? We need more people like Barney. Not the purple dinosaur, but people like, like Barnabas who would build people up rather than tear them down. Encouragement was, is said to be like premium gasoline. It helps to take the knocks out of living. And Barnabas was one of those. So when the gospel came to the Gentiles in Antioch, it was Barnabas who was sent to encourage them in their faith. That's Acts chapter 11 and verse 19. And when Barnabas uh, enlisted Paul to help minister um, there at the church in Antioch, Acts 11, verse 25 and 26. And so the two of them worked together, not only in teaching, but also in helping the poor in chapter 11, verse 27 and 30. So Barnabas is one of Paul's accompanied companions on his first missionary journey. And it's worth noting too, John Mark was with Paul. John Mark had some difficulties. He had some, hit some bumps in the road and, and he quit. He just went AWOL. And Paul wasn't happy about it. Showed his displeasure. But Barnabas was used by God to encourage the young John Mark. And years later, Paul was able to commend Mark and benefit from his friendship. We find this in Paul's later days in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 11. And so you've got Barnabas. He's an encourager. No wonder Paul wanted to have an encourager with him. It's great to get encouragement. I get sometimes... You know, somebody will come up, I got some bad news. Well, stand in line. That's all I seem to get is bad news. And wouldn't it be great just to have a, a Barney around that could just encourage? You say, you just want somebody to, to tell you lies? No, there's enough good stuff about God that's worth talking about and repeating. We need to hear some of that. 
But he didn't just take Barnabas, he took Titus. <clears throat> what is it about Titus that's significant? Well, the Bible tells us in verse number three, Titus being a Greek. That means he's a Gentile. He's a Greek who apparently worked with Paul, and I believe Titus was saved under the ministry of the Apostle Paul. In Titus 1 and verse 4, Titus alludes to this. And so Paul is basically bringing Titus to this Jerusalem council as exhibit A. In later years, Titus assisted Paul by going to some of the most difficult churches to help him. And there was a lot of problem solving that Paul had to do. And we find 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Titus chapter 1. So Paul, he's, he's chosen an encourager, one who is encouraging with truth, not with lies and, and um, flattery. But Barnabas was, was one that was sold out all in. We see that in Acts chapter 4. And, and here he is encouraging Paul. And here he's got one, Titus, that's a product of the ministry who bought into that God can change my life and, and give liberty. And now he's a fighter. He's accompanying Paul. Well, what is all this about at the Jerusalem Council of Acts chapter 15 that Paul's talking about in Galatians 2? Well, notice the presentation at the confrontation. In verse number 2, he says, I went up by revelation, meaning... I didn't go up because somebody made me. I went up because God told me to. And, and I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. But privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. So in a closed meeting, Paul says, privately, I go about this privately initially, and he lays before the leadership of the church at Jerusalem the gospel that he had been preaching. I want to tell you, I wish I'd been in that meeting. I would have loved to have heard how Paul handled it. Remember Paul, who is a terrorist turned preacher, is now defending and fighting for the cause of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. The blood atonement of Jesus the substitutionary death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus, the grace of God and the repentance of man. It must have been a, a, a tremendous meeting. In verse number three, again, Paul says, yet not even Titus who was with me being a Greek was compelled to be circumcised. And what does this have to do with it? Well, it's part of the, the presentation. Because you remember again those Judaizers, those that had come in and, and, and somebody came in and, and walked in here and said, church, I want to let you know, Jesus Christ is not who he said he was. He's not the way, the truth, and the life. There is no such thing as Jesus. The Bible is not true. Follow me. Well, I don't know if anybody really would be interested. The Judaizers didn't do that. They came in preaching Jesus is the way, the Bible is true, and it got the people's ears. But then they started intermingling some things that deviated from that. And so that's why there's a need for carefulness. That's why there's a need for uh, having certain things to expose the process of church and the communication of the gospel, the, 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 the mission, the mandate See, they'd been preaching that salvation, yes, it came through Jesus, but they were also inserting, you need to check up and make sure you've got the law of Moses in there somewhere. And somebody would have come back and said, are you saying that there's a works that we have to do to be saved? They'd say, oh, no, 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 that's not what we're saying. We're saying Jesus and only Jesus, amen. But don't forget about the law of Moses. You gotta have the law of Moses in here somewhere. Well, I don't understand that. And, and it's not so much, I think, what was said. And I don't think they printed it. If, if you put stuff in print, it can be easily refuted. But it's not what they put in print. It's what they were doing. 
And so it gets a little bit tricky and, and, and they're coming to this uh, a group over a period of time. And we've used this illustration like in golf, you have a slice and, and that means the ball's going to go a certain direction, not straight, but it's going to go a certain direction. Five yards may not seem that big a deal, but a hundred yards down the fairway, oh, that slice will be quite a big deal. And so after some time, Paul's saying, one of us is off somewhere. So he's meeting with this Jerusalem council. And also these Judaizers are infecting the church to not listen to Paul. And so that's why Paul says, God's told me I need to show up here. And so it's a big debate. And this message um, in Acts 15, Jerusalem, primarily Jews, they're having this, and we'll go to this later, but you can read it for yourself. But in chapter 15, they're discussing if the Gentiles, that's us, if we want to get saved, then we need to get saved the same way the Jews get saved, and that is by Jesus. But they need to respect our laws of Moses. They need to undergo circumcision. They need to show some respect to, if we're going to, now yes, they only get saved the same way we do by Jesus, but there also has to be this. And so there's, Paul says, there's this intermingling of some works. And when you put Jesus plus, then you're not adding anything to the gospel because he said in chapter one, you can't do that. But when man starts doing that, what is happening? You're, you're actually taking away the gospel itself. And so he says, I'm bringing Titus. Titus, a Jew or Gentile? A Gentile. He's coming to a, a Jewish um, showdown. And he comes to these leaders and he says, I'm preaching the gospel that was given to me. I know you're about the gospel. And, and he comes to, here's James that's here and Peter. And, and he says, the gospels, there's no different gospel. And, but I want you to see Titus. Titus is a man that was saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us that Titus is there he wasn't compelled to be circumcised. What are we going to do about that? There's not two gospels. There can only be one gospel. What Paul is getting across is, let me tell you something about the message of the gospel. It never changes. There's only one gospel. The message of the gospel is always the same. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so is the good news about Jesus Christ. So Titus is here as exhibit A. Now, verse number four. And that because of false brethren unawares brought in who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. And so here he goes into the explanation to the saints. The confrontation and then, now the explanation. And he gives here in verse four the threat to the gospel. See, Paul preached about peace among the saints. He, he did often. But he never preached about peace at any price. In other words, Paul says, I'm not going to compromise the word of God to get along with you or anybody else. And I can say too, I'm not here to compromise the word of God to get along with you or anybody else and neither should you. James 3 and verse 17, James said, the wisdom that is from above is first pure. Then it's peaceable easy to be entreated. He refused to compromise the gospel for the sake of peace. See, they had a few sham Christians, that is fake Christians, the Judaizers. They slipped in to spy out that freedom in order to drag people back into bondage. They were on a search and destroy mission. Have you ever noticed that people who are in bondage if they don't want to get out of bondage, they want to get others into bondage. And that's why it's extremely important that we recognize if you are bent on not getting on the disciple road with Jesus, you've got to get out of the way because you're going to pull others down. 
Leadership is not a position, it's influence. And when you're influencing people to not be all in, sir, when you influence people to not be here at men's prayer, you've lost your rim of influence. When you decide you don't have to be at all the services, you have no business influencing anybody because you're not influencing for the cause of Christ. When your wife decides, I'm not going to go with you, you go on your own, you can't run your own house for the cause of Jesus, then how can you influence others for the sake of Jesus Christ? And Paul says, I'm not compromising this. It's Christian freedom versus bondage. That's what the meeting was about. And the bondage of legalism was threatening the liberty of the gospel. Listen, you can't mix grace and law no more than you can mix water and oil. You can't do it. And so he's telling him there's a threat here to the gospel. Verse number five. He gives the truth of the gospel. To whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might come might continue rather with you. Whenever the truth of the gospel is being threatened, it is time to stand without wavering. Whether it's a Sunday school teacher or deacon or pastor, if they're adding something to salvation in Jesus, it's time to get a new Sunday school teacher, a new deacon or a new pastor. And so in giving his explanation to the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, he mentions the threat to the gospel, but he also mentions the truth of the gospel. And then verses seven through eight, he mentions the trust of the gospel. But contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed, notice the word committed, was committed unto me as the gospel of circumcision was unto Peter. See, the word committed means to give credit to, to entrust with. It comes from the same root word as faith, as belief. So what Paul was saying is that he had been entrusted with the gospel to share with the Gentiles, just as Peter, a Jew, was entrusted with the gospel to share with the Jews. And just as Paul had been entrusted with the gospel and Peter has been entrusted with the gospel, do you know that 2,000 years later, you and I have also been entrusted with the same gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, every generation of saints have been given a trust. You've heard of a trust fund? We all have been given, if you're saved, a trust. It's called the gospel trust. And one of these days, we're going to give an account of what we did with it during our watch. So it's the confrontation with the saints, the explanation to the saints, and then third this morning. Would you notice in verses 9 and 10, the confirmation that Paul received from the saints? The confirmation. So Paul lays this out, and it's quite in-depth, and it's some good stuff. And we're going to look at it in chapter 15 of Acts. It is very vital to our understanding of the Christian life. But again, it's later. I'm telling you, we're just moving through, getting, we're painting the picture, setting the backdrop, putting the characters in place. And Paul himself, he's going to tie it together for us. And so I'm just letting Paul... Um, uh, reveal, unveil, and develop his message to us. But in this meeting there at the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, he laid out what he was talking about, the, the gospel uh, of the circumcised, the gospel of the uncircumcision. It sounds like two different gospels, but we know what he said in chapter 1, there's not two different ones. And so what does he meaning? What does he mean by that? And he explained it and and they heard it, and they received it, and, um, and then they confirmed. The assembly responded. They approved Paul's gospel. They opposed Paul's enemies. They encouraged Paul's ministry. That's what all took place there. This assembly, they listened to Paul, and they said, we agree with what Paul is saying. They understood that Paul was speaking 
truth out of concern that God's hand was upon him. When Paul said, you've got to be aware, you've got to be aware of these Judaizers and these that would come in and creep in and, and seek. They're, they're looking for somebody to listen. They want to have their ministry. They think they know what's best for this ministry, but... They don't see the big pitch, picture. They don't get the, the, the God perspective of what's going on. And Paul says, you've got to understand that it's going to be, be a, a great deal of trouble to you and succeeding generations if you don't get this thing settled now. And they opposed Paul's enemies, but then they also encouraged Paul's ministry. And we'll see that here in these two verses. So they recognized publicly that God had committed the Gentile aspect of his work into Paul's hands. But they also saw we cannot add anything to the gospel, nor can we take, nor dare we take anything away from the gospel. So there's agreement. There's unity. One gospel would be preached to both the Jews and the Gentiles. Again, going back to Acts 15, the Jewish church, the Jews there in Jerusalem, they're saying the Gentiles, certainly they can be saved, but they need to be circumcised. They need to take part in our, in our Jewish history. And so Paul comes in and says, no, that can't happen. We cannot do that. Because if you say you're saved by Jesus plus something else, it's no longer Jesus. And so they, they say, Paul, you're right. We can see how this got misunderstood and, and how this was getting off track. And, and so there was unity. But they also recognized this, that God had assigned different areas of ministry to different men. And this is what's important. Peter, remember, a Jew. Peter's primary focus was reaching the Jews. Paul, called as God's special ambassador to the Gentiles. And it was agreed that each man would minister in their sphere assigned to him by God. That's why in verse 7, you find the gospel of the uncircumcision, and you also find the gospel of the circumcision. They're not two different messages. They've agreed there's only one gospel. Instead, what we have here is two different spheres of one ministry. One's to the Jews and one is to the Gentiles. Now, Peter and Paul would both preach the same gospel, same Lord. And yet they're ministering to different people. This does not mean that Paul would never seek to win Jews. In fact, Romans 9 and verse 1 through 3, Paul says, Brother, my heart's desire for Israel is that they might be saved. And Paul says, if I could go to hell in place of my Jewish kid, I would. He wanted them so to be saved. But we're just looking at how God had used these two men. Nor was Peter excluded from reaching Gentiles. But each man was concentrating in his own sphere that was assigned to him by the Holy Spirit. In verse number 9, it says, James, he's the half-brother of Jesus, Cephas, and John. They're primarily the Jewish ministry. Paul, however, according to the second part of the verse, of verse 9, He's going to go to the Gentiles. Notice the word um, in verse number 9 that they gave me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we should go unto the, what's the word? Heathen. That's just another name for the Gentile people. That's us, those who are not Jews. So the Jerusalem conference began with a great possibility for division to occur but it ended with cooperation and agreement. Psalm 133, verse 1, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. I say we need to practice the same cooperation today. I like Pastor Rabin said at the conference, Victory Conference last week, Everybody, as far as a Christian is concerned, everybody is either a pastor, 
of a New Testament Bible-believing local church or everyone is supposed to be helping the pastor. That breaks them all up right there. And Paul was able to sit down with the leadership and they were able to understand how we can articulate and better understand this ministry of the gospel. And they came together in unity. It's also a reminder here of understanding the different emphasis. Um, and we go back to, you say, well, what, what's the, what, why the, the circumcision, the uncircumcision? Well, the Jews, because of the, the teaching of Moses back thousands of years before, they understood that covenant that described um, their being all in and committed. And one of the, the acts was that of circumcision. Jesus Christ came and, and he... Um, fulfilled, he filled up the law and the prophets. And Jesus Christ became all that a person needed. But there is still this trying to minister to them. And so nowhere do you find Paul or Peter after this ever preaching, you must trust Jesus and be circumcised or and sacrifice or and any of the, they, they didn't preach that. And so that's why he brought Titus. Titus has been saved, he said. Titus gave his testimony. Titus, a Gentile, never been circumcised. He says, I'm not persuaded to be circumcised, but I am on my way to heaven. Christ is in me. I'm in Christ. Sins are forgiven. Have eternal life. It's a done deal. Somebody says, and if you do your reading and, and just to, to head this off at the past, somebody says, but what about Timothy? Paul was encouraging Timothy to be circumcised. Well, because that's what his mom was. His mom was a Jew. And so he's got, he is a Jew. He's considered a Jew and to reach the Jews, he was not going to offend the Jews, but he didn't preach a gospel that included being circumcised. There's other things that Acts 15 is going to get into when we get over there. They're going to talk about don't eat meat offered unto idols. And Paul is explaining that you do that, if you eat meat offered unto idols, it's not going to send you to hell, but it may be a stumbling block that causes somebody else to go to hell. And so there is no mixing or there is no rather uh, dividing. There's no two different gospels. And he's simply saying that those who are reaching the Jews, they're trying not to be offensive. Somebody goes over to uh, a different country. They may wear the clothing of that country. They may eat the food of that people because they're wanting to reach them. But they're not going to compromise the gospel because if you add anything to the gospel, it's another gospel and it's not Christ's gospel. You take anything from the gospel, it's no longer the gospel. It's no longer good news. And so it's just two different spheres, two different ministries that have people that they're reaching, but none of which is required for salvation like the Judaizers were teaching. Now in verse number 10, notice as we close. Only they would... He says, after all of this, the council there, they approved Paul's gospel. They opposed Paul's enemies. They encouraged Paul's ministry. But notice what Paul says, only they would that we should remember the poor. We should remember the poor. The same which I also was forward to do. Why does it say, remember the poor? If you remember back over in chapter 2 of James, when we went through there, he talked about what true Christianity is all about. It is remembering the fatherless, the widows. What he's telling us, what I believe Paul is saying is this. Once you get your doctrine all settled, true doctrine never replaces true Christianity. Right doctrine is never a substitute for being a servant. Dr. Childs is familiar with the Bible college. 
that's been known for putting preachers out all over the country. But the Bible college is not putting out as many preachers because of a deviation, a flaw in the process. But again, it takes time. Get, let the ball make it past five yards. Let's look at it at 100 yards. But by then, you can't take the ball back. There were a number who would say in that Bible college and friends that, that, that I knew while I was also in Bible college had friends that were in this other Bible college who were studying the same as I was. They, were, they felt God called us to preach and to ministry. I was majoring in pastoral studies and friends at this other Bible college were majoring in pastoral studies. But while we would go to church, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night at our local church, and if our church had revival meetings, we were at our church regardless of what was happening at the college. By the way, God did not put its authority upon the Bible college. He put his authority upon the church. But our friends would, be, would say to us, we don't go to church on Sunday night. In fact, we don't have to. In the rule book, it doesn't say that we have to go to church on Sunday night. We don't have to go to church on Wednesday night. We just have to go to church on Sunday morning. In fact, if we don't want to leave campus, we can go to a gathering here on campus because God's called us to Bible college. And, and if God's called me to Bible, I've got to study and I've got to prepare and I've got to do this work if I'm going to be a good steward of what God's given to me. And yet, there becomes this with some of the, the most brilliant minds in the country. A way to work around. We're staying home from church to study the Bible so we can turn around and get into a pulpit and tell people, listen to the Bible, follow what God, listen, are you listening to me? Listen to the Bible. But somehow they themselves have neglected don't forsake the assembling of the saints as the manner of some is. Don't you forsake the But I've got, don't you think I need to be a good steward of the responsibility of being a student? You know what that is? It's Judaizers. It's Judaizers. And, and I take no... No pride, I take no pleasure in telling you that many of those men not only did not make it into the pulpit ministry, they didn't even keep their marriages intact. And many of their children will never even darken the door of a church today. Why? Because they didn't see real Christianity at home. I understand why Paul says... Put hands on no man suddenly. Why Paul told Timothy, we can't promote novices. I mean, that means, it doesn't mean people have been saved a week or a year. It means people have been saved 20 years, but they're just not growing. They're still a novice. And I've said many times, I've put novices in positions as Sunday school teachers and a discipler in this position. And we, we won't put novices in as a deacon. And Paul is very clear about that. But I've put novices in other positions. But here's the criteria. You have lost your right to influence when you have resisted the influence that God has ordained and commanded that should come from the leadership of this church. And so Paul says, we want to make this thing practical. Don't forget the poor. Don't forget the poor. Well, Who is he talking about? Is he talking about opening up a soup kitchen? Yeah, that's, a, that's an old, that's, I've hung around Dr. Childs too long. We uses that phrase. Most people say, I don't know what a soup kitchen is. He talking about Panera bread? Is that one? That is not Panera bread. Uh, is, he, is, he, is he talking about um, opening up a homeless shelter? No, that's not what he's talking about at all. In fact, most of the Christians in that day were poor. He's talking about what Jesus lived for. 
He's talking about what a servant really is. He's talking about how you can know whether or not you're qualified to influence. Are you going to get all in? Are you going to get all in and serve where you're not going to get any return but Jesus? That's what Paul is reminding. That's what they reminded Paul, and that's what Paul is reminding us. I, I got demoted. I got to be in the nursery. Since when is a soul that God created and Jesus loves ever a demotion? Since when do you think so highly of yourself that you can't serve in a nursery? I love preaching, but this is less than 20% of what I do. I wish you could spend hours with me in my office as I agonize with people and helping people to come through just not to throw in the towel just one more day. I wish I could have them come to you and you influence them, but when you've gone AWOL and you refuse to get all in and you can't get your own family in order, how in the name of common sense can you influence somebody else, love Jesus, follow Jesus, when you're not even where you ought to be when you're supposed to be there? He says, remember the poor. Oh, you want the name? Jesus washed the disciples of those who deserted him, those who denied him, and yet who washed Jesus' feet? A broken woman whose name we don't know. Jesus humbled himself, made himself of no reputation. What are we waiting for? Somebody comes and says, I'd like to know when am I going to get to serve? What do you need, a special card written to you? Why don't, me, why don't you let me introduce you to Jesus? Amen. Somebody said, I don't even know who the teachers are. Show up, you'll find them. Someone said, I don't know who the deacons are. You've been asleep because we've introduced them. We, we've had them on the stage. We've had them on, we don't have a stage. We've had them on the platform. We, we've inter- Where are you? Praying this morning with Brother Mooney and just our, the burden. Why are people content with sitting off on the side, looking from afar, looking at, as spectators? Why, why don't you see that there's something to be done? What can I do? Well... There's plenty. Do you really want to know? Or are you just looking for a title? Let's stand together, please.